family or anything, but somebody who was a close friend of ours for a period of time. And, and we knew for a fact, not hearsay, we knew this guy was crooked, dishonest, had ripped people off for tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, it just, just, just blatantly. And here he is on the news as an expert saying, this is how you should invest your money. And you know, I was, I, it bothered me. And I thought, you know, God, why would you let somebody who's so crooked and a liar be promoted like that? I mean, where's the justice? Where is the, the fact that, you know, cheaters aren't supposed to prosper. They're not supposed to get ahead. They're supposed to get what they deserve. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit aggravated inside, a little bit bothered. And it was within a week that God brought me this psalm, a psalm that challenges me, a psalm that teaches me. And I think I want to share with you just what God shared with me, because here's the truth. When the wicked are exalted or when there's injustice in this world, it's a dangerous time for us as believers. It can affect us emotionally and it can affect us spiritually. It can damage us emotionally and spiritually. Here's how. When I see uh, the wicked exalted, I see the injustice in this world, I could be somebody who just says, what's wrong with this world? This world is, is so corrupt and I get discouraged and I don't do what God's called me to do. It also can affect me spiritually because I... I may not verbalize it, but I kind of look at God and think, God, why don't you fix this? I mean, why? I was listening to the radio yesterday, and they were talking about in Texas that they have so many children in foster care. They don't have enough foster homes. They don't even have enough institutional homes. They are literally sleeping in the DHS offices because there's nowhere else to put them. And, and we, could, we could spend the rest of the day talking about the tragedy of this world. And you hear things like that, and you think, God, you know, where are you? Where we see the brokenness and why is it that way? Why is this world unjust? And it leaves us in this vulnerable place. The psalmist that God used to write the psalm was David. David knew a thing or two about injustice. David was, as you know, as a shepherd boy, a young man who was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And, but it was a long time before David became king. That was God's calling on his life. And in that time, there was another man who was exalted by the name of King Saul, a very wicked man, a man with a furious temper, temper, a man who at one time loved God and followed God, but something had happened in Saul. Something had changed about Saul. And Saul would fly into these murderous rages. He hunted David like an animal. David tried to do what's right. He would not uh, depose Saul of his throne. He felt that was God's job. And so David had this struggle, and as he was living basically as a nomad in the wilderness, in the hills like an animal, Many of the psalms we read were written during that time. We don't know the date or the time of this particular psalm. I imagine it this way. I imagine that maybe David was overwhelmed by the injustice. Where somebody like Saul was exalted and David, as he tried to be the man after God's own heart, was fleeing for his life and he was, he was portrayed as an evil person, a bad guy, a criminal. And maybe this is years later that David wrote these things down. I don't know. But it gives us instruction on how to look at the fact that we live in an unjust world, a broken world, and yet still be enthusiastic about God, still love God, protect our hearts from being damaged by that. Many psalms lament the injustices in our world. Many of the psalms we read, they kind of go like this. 
This world just isn't fair. These things are wrong. These people are sinful and broken. And there are wicked people in this world. And by the way, that's the default state of all mankind. Every one of us. This is not about morality, good people and bad people. The, The Psalms are clear and Scripture is clear. The only way any of us have any righteousness is because Jesus Christ saved us. It's a result of what he's done for us. This is not about good moral people and bad moral people. Every one of us are in the same boat in God's eyes. We're all sinners who need a Savior to redeem us. And when he redeems us, he starts to make us like him. And little bits of righteousness grows through us. It shows Jesus to this world. But many of the Psalms, they talk about, wow, Jesus, you're changing me. You're making me more like you. I'm trying to be this righteous person. I'm growing. And I see all the unrighteousness around me, and it bothers me. And they kind of end this way. They end by saying, well, one day it's going to all change. One day Jesus Christ is going to set everything back where it should be. He's going to undo every wrong. And by the way, that's where the cross comes in. The cross is where Jesus Christ undoes sin's curse. And he begins his work of redeeming this world through our hearts. He takes those of us who are rebels against God. And we hate God. We sin against God. And he says, I'm going to make you my child. And more than that, I'm going to make you a light in this world. And a lot of the Psalms are, I can't wait for that day. And by the way, we're waiting for the day when Jesus comes back. And every wrong is righted. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more bigotry. There'll be no more children going to bed hungry at night. All those things will be taken care of when Jesus comes. That thing that every man craves in his heart will happen when Jesus comes. What about now? A lot of the Psalms, that's what they say. Just wait for that day. This Psalm is different. This Psalm says... And here is your responsibility. Here are your orders until that day comes. Today we're going to talk about what to do while we're waiting. What to do while we're waiting for the day that Jesus comes back and he makes everything right. What to do when we see the injustices in this world and we long for that day where, where wrongs are made right, but they aren't happening yet. How do we respond? How do we protect our hearts so we don't become discouraged? How do we prote- protect our hearts so we aren't, uh, we, we aren't bitter about these things? We're going to look at this chapter, and God made it real easy for us in the 37th Psalm. Everything that God has to say to believers, to people who follow Christ, they are written with you understood command. So we're, let's read our passage. We're going to start the 37th Psalm in verse number one and see if you can find these commands that God gives us. The very first verse gives us the context. It talks about the evildoers. And later on in the chapter, we won't look at all these, but it starts to talk about the evildoer any, a little bit more. Here's, here's, here's what the Psalm is about. It's about, I see wickedness promoted. I see injustice. I see this evil person lifted up, God, and it bothers me. And this is what God has to say. Verse number one, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while... 
and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So, this is what's happening. The psalmist is saying, God, look at the wickedness being exalted in our world. And God's saying, you know, you're right. There's a lot of wickedness in this world. But here are the things I want you to do until I take care of it. I will take care of it. Don't make any mistake about that. I will. But I have something for you to do while I am waiting on that, while you're waiting on that. What are those things? Well, the first one we read in verse number one is, says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. What God's saying here is don't allow injustices, don't allow wickedness, don't allow evil people being exalted cause you to fret, cause you to be stressed, cause you to be emotionally out of sorts. In other words, we can say it this way. God does not permit his people to be emotionally distraught because of injustice in this world. We should be burdened about it, no doubt about it. We should have compassion, but we shouldn't fret about it. Now, as believers, God has called us to be lights in this world. You know, lights, Jesus said it very eloquently, lights shine in darkness. He's called us to be in this dark world, and, and that means around us there's going to be turmoil. Around us there's going to be difficulty. Around us there will be injustice. And God's saying, as you see it, let it break your heart, but don't fret about it. When you see it, let it stir up the compassion in you to do something about it, but don't allow it to discourage you. But too many times what we do is we look at this world around us and we see the injustices, we see the wrongs. And we as believers, we hang our heads. We fret. We're discouraged. God does not give us that luxury. Folks, we have the Spirit of God living in us. We have a mission in this world to make a difference. And let us not look at the enemy around us and say, the enemy's too great, I can't do anything about it. Let us stand up and let us claim the victory that God has given us. Now, this is what I've learned about me. Maybe you're different than me. And praise God for that, by the way. But this is what I've learned about me. I really have a hard time sometimes controlling my emotions right at the moment. And so what I have to do is I have to be really careful about the things I think about and the things I allow to come into my ears and my mind so that I can control my emotions. Let me back up a minute. Do you think God would command us to do something that with the power of Christ in us was still impossible for us to do. When he say, hey, this is what I want for you, and you can have the Spirit of God in you, and you're still not going to be able to do it, but I'm still commanding it, I still expect you to do it. Does that sound like something God would do? Of course not. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So when the Bible commands me something emotionally, when he says, fret not, does that not seem to indicate that there might be a way for me to obey God with the power of Christ in me? Does that not make sense? This is what the Bible teaches, that God declares himself the Lord of everything. Jesus Christ is the Lord of our actions. He says, do this and don't do that. He says, I, I can tell you those things because I'm, I'm, I saved you. Then he says, by the way, I'm also the Lord of your thoughts. He tells us not to think about certain things, doesn't he? And then he goes so far as to say, by the way, just in case you don't know, I'm also the Lord of your emotions. I want you to feel this and not feel that. You say, wait a second, Jason. The heart feels what the heart feels. I can't control what I feel. I, I can't help those things. But maybe we can help before we feel it. Here's how it works for me. Um, for a long period of time, uh, through college and, and even first five or ten years of my marriage, I like to listen to political talk radio. 
You know, I'd turn it on. And I'd listen to it. But this is what I found out for me. This isn't everybody, but this is me. For me, it made me so mad about things that I couldn't fix that it did not help me to enjoy God and enjoy his creation around me. I'm not saying everybody's that way because I'm being very, this is just me. I learned this about me, that I would be there and I would be fretting. I would be worrying. I would be mad. I would, all these things. And so for me, in order for me to live in awe of God, this is what I had to do. I had to turn the station. And by the way, aren't you glad that there are good alternatives? We can hear about how good Jesus is instead of how bad the world around us is. And, and I have to have that. That's not condemning anybody who does that or that, saying it's wrong. I'm just saying for me, I could not obey the command of God, fret not, and listen to that as well. I had to make a decision. You know, I found in my life that, that sometimes uh, I've had to not accept Facebook friends because I don't want to fret. In fact, I searched scripture diligently. And I found that there are no verses that said, thou shalt accept every friend on Facebook. It's not there. Thou shalt answer every single phone call. (laughs) You don't have to, folks. And if doing so puts me in a place where I'm not, where I'm going to fret, I'm going to worry, I'm going to stress, I'm not going to trust in God and delight in him, then I need to be aware enough to realize I don't need that. You you might be different. Maybe other things make you fret. Maybe it's certain people in your life that make you fret. (laughs) Now, if you're married to them, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. That's a whole different issue. Maybe... Maybe there are other sets of circumstances, activities. But, but the point is this. The end result is God says, don't fret. You're going to be in an unjust world. You're going to see it all. And I don't want you to be emotionally damaged because of it. I want you to stand up to it. And I want you to have victory over it. The next thing that the Bible says in that same verse, it says, be, uh, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. These are the same people, the same injustice. He says, don't be envious. Don't desire the life that they have. Don't look at their life and say, that's what I really want to do. Here's, here's kind of the idea that, that we can look at this. I've got a, a dog and uh, I, I hate to confess this. But we have this little bitty squirrel dog. I promised that I would never have a dog. In fact, before we were married, my wife and I talked about it. We would never have a dog. And then about a year ago, when we moved here, my kids said, dad, since we don't have any friends, can we have a dog? <laughs> I know. They're evil, manipulative. It's like, wow, where did you learn this? From their mother? No. Uh-uh. So we got this dog, and this dog is like, it's one of the, you know, you, you almost feel bad for these dogs that they think that they're this big Rottweiler, but in reality, they're like this little bitty squirt dog, you know? It's like half squirrel, half dog type thing. And that's the dog we have. And, you know, it's the most humiliating thing in the world to walk a dog like that. You know, I'm walking through my neighborhood, and I've got this little half poodle thing, actually three quarters poodle, and uh, walking around, it's, it's, just, it's just very frustrating. So when I take my dog Lucky for a walk, he's just not real smart, and, and bless his heart, he's just not real smart. And so I have the leash there, and, and I stop the leash, and, you know, as I'm walking, he only has so much leash, and as he's, but he wants to go further. You know, we'll walk by a house that has a dog, and he wants to go over there with the dog. And so he'll, he'll strain on that thing, and it'll choke him, and he'll try to get over there. You know, I think, you know, Lucky, I personally, I don't care if you leave. I don't love you, but my family does. And, you know, I pay for your shots. I, I, I bought him a dog igloo. Why do dogs need igloos? I have no idea. When I was a kid, dog houses suffice. But today, you have to have a dog igloo. And so I bought him the igloo and, and all the toys that he has and everything. But he wants to go and he wants to play in the neighbor's yard where there are other dogs. 
And, you know, they don't take care of their dogs as well as I take care of mine. He has a nice pillow to sleep on. He has a nice backyard. We, we, We take him to the vet and all of his shots, everything that he does. But he says, I want to be over there. And so he'll strain to the point he hurts himself trying to get over there with the other dogs. And this idea of envy, this is what it looks like. I follow Christ. I'm his. I say that I love him. I follow him. But I start to see things over there. I say, wow. That looks pretty good. I know you take care of me. I know you love me. I know you're mine. But, you know, I really, my heart's desire are these things. And God in his kindness often tightens that leash a little bit and reminds us of that. This is especially dangerous for those of us who have kids in our house. Because here's the point. Joy and envy can exist at the same time. And the best way we hand down our faith to our children is to show them following Christ is joyous. Humanly speaking, that's why today I'm in church. I grew up in a Christian home. I saw my dad and my mom, who they had joy as they followed Jesus. Sometimes they didn't have much else besides joy. There were some very lean times, but they portrayed, they had tasted what the world has early in their adult life. And they had joy as they followed Christ. And here I am, I have my kids following me, and I am doing the right things, But kids are very intuitive. They can see where our heart is sometimes better than we can. And when we are following Christ, but our heart is over there, they see it in a second. When we follow Christ and there's no joy in our life, and we're filled with envy for what's over there, we become a billboard and say, don't follow Jesus, it'll make you miserable. And they look at that long enough, and they say, I think you're right. Folks, we need to let God be the greatest love of our life. We need to have that joy that doesn't run out. Hey, let's not be envious of what's out there. In fact, verse number two says this, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. I have some grass here. In fact, I said that in the first service and some people uh, thought I had a different kind of grass. I want to make it perfectly clear. Please tell your husband, this is just grass. I have some grass here. And um, that I, <laughs> there's no way to say this. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I cut this from my yard this week. And uh, <laughs> I just keep digging it deeper, don't I? Um, but if I said, hey, listen, this is fresh. <laughs> this is, wow. I, you, you folks are a lot worse than the first hour. Right? Uh, but hey, I'm going to auction this off. We're going to start the bidding at $8,000. Stay with me now. Would anybody pay $8,000 for this? If so, I would like to talk to you after the service. No, it's just grass. It's, it's not worth anything. In fact, it's going to deteriorate and it's going to rot and it's going to be worthless eventually. It is worthless now. And if I said, would you give your life for this? Nobody would say that. And the, the Bible says that when you see all the things the wicked have, all the things that the evildoer has... Some of those things are things we like. Nobody hates having a good job. Nobody hates having, uh, they're not necessarily sinful things. Nobody hates all those things. But it's the value we place on them. And what the Bible says is that we should look at them and says, you know, that doesn't really matter. I have a greater treasure than this. My treasure, I can't get fired from my treasure. The IRS can't tax me over my treasure. It's not going to rust. It's not going to rot. It is mine until I die. And even beyond that, I'll have Jesus as my Savior. And that will never change. That's my true treasure. 
But what happens is we see the nothingness of this world, the shadows that we chase after and never catch. There are hearts over there that we become envious. So if I'm going to protect my heart when I see the injustices in this world, the first thing I have to do is this. I have to decide, God does not allow me to fret over it. God does not allow me to be stressed over it. Burdened, yes. Stressed, no. Burdened, yes. Discouraged, no. I also need to see that there's nothing over there that I really want. I have the great treasure. What else does the scripture say this morning to us? Well, we, we find... In verse number three, and I'll, I'll go quickly through this, the Bible says, uh, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Again, this is a you understood command. You can go through the passage, and there's about a dozen of them in this chapter where God's saying, Hey, you, you see the wickedness of this world. Do this, do this, don't do that. And right here, he's saying, Trust in the Lord and do good. Here's a way you could say it you could say, To trust God's promises. So much that doing good is the natural result. It's, I believe what God says so much to the nth degree, my trust in God and every promise he made and what he says about life that I will follow and I'll obey even if I don't necessarily see the results. I don't have to stand there and weigh it out and say, boy, which way is better? I don't know. Let me, let me think about it. It's God, whatever you say, I'm going to trust and do good. I'm going to go ahead and skip to our fourth point because I want to spend a little more time here. This is the one that changed me. This is the one that rocked my world. When I was here, I was seeing this YouTube video of this, this guy who was, was a con artist and, and, and apparently doing pretty well in life, though. And that discouragement kind of was there. And I, I never said it, but in my heart, I'm thinking, God, where are you? This is the one that convicted me. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, I want to start off by a quick grammar lesson, okay? In the, in the first hour, it was, it, it was like uh, 45 seconds is all I had. So, so, it probably, so just listen. I, I promise I won't belabor the point, but it's so important here. In English, we have active verbs and passive verbs. And our active verbs are, would be, uh, my son Trenton's not here, Joe's here. If I said, Joe hit the ball, active verbs are when the subject, Joe, does the action. He hit the ball. Passive verbs are when something is done to you. So if I said, Joe was hit by the ball, Joe didn't actually do the hitting, Joe was hit. Does that make sense? Active means the subject does it. Passive means it is done to the subject. In this passage, we see that it's a you understood subject. The Bible says, you understood, delight thyself also in the Lord, active, meaning you do the action. It's not saying, wait, and God will delight you by how great he is. He's saying, you delight yourself in the Lord. You live in awe of God. You keep your heart in love. With God. This is how we tend to interpret these things, like, like looking for God's blessings and, and delighting in God. My wife uh, cooks this dish, probably my favorite dish. It's called, uh, it's beef stroganoff, or uh, to say it in accent, it's beef stroganoff. And uh, she, she makes it, and it's just delicious. It's good. I'm, I'm telling you, this is so good, it has ended wars. It's that good. And uh, she makes this. And so this is what I think. I go home from work, and if there's a nice piping hot plate, 
of beef stroganoff or beef stroganoff. Uh, I am there and I can delight in what she's doing. It's my favorite. It's something I love. And, you know, maybe I'm having a bad day and she encourages me and I delight in her. That's not what it's saying. That would be me delighting in what she's doing for me. That would be passive. What the scripture is saying is you have the responsibility yourself to live with a heart full of the love of God. You have the responsibility to live amazed of how great God is. God does not have to do one more thing to be worthy of us delighting in him. If he had never saved us, let's say we're all lost, we're all going to hell, and nothing could ever change that. The fact he gave us life and created the world around us is all that we need to live in delight of him. But he's done far more than that, hasn't he? He has given us salvation, not because we're good people, not because we deserve it, but because he is good. He has given us many of the earthly blessings we have. God shows us this all around, and he says... Your responsibility is to live in the light of me. Can I tell you, that's what, that's what our worship time is. Our very talented musicians, they find these great things about God. And they say, let's delight musically in this about God. And today was about God's grace. Wasn't that wonderful? They were saying, hey, this great, wonderful beauty of God is that God has grace for us. And so they said it through song and music and rhythm and all those things that lifted up our heart. But the ultimate thing is that we were delighted in God. That's the Christian life, folks. Every day living in delight of him. Let's pretend for a moment. We have any fisher here, fishers here? Fishermen, fisher ladies, fisher women, whatever. Okay, we've got several here. Now let's pretend for a second that I am a fishing guide. And I say, listen, Brother Ray, um, I have this place that I've been saving. It is the best place to fish that I know of. It, I mean, you are guaranteed to catch fish. And I... You know, I'm one of those people who I look at the weather, I look at the, the moon phases, and I can tell you the best time to catch these fish. I'm going to set you up. And so I take Brother Ray out to this place, and nobody knows about it. There are fish there. You can see him hopping out of the water, and boy, we're getting excited about it. And we, it's the right time, the right bait, the right place, and all this. And Brother Ray's over there, and he opens up the live well. That's the little part on the boat where you keep the fish after you catch them. And he opens up the live well, and he says, well, come on, fish, let's go. Here, fish, fish, fish. And he, we just sit there and we wait for about two hours for the fish to jump in. Are we going to catch a whole lot of fish? Probably not. Why? Because we are passively trying to find fish. But to find fish, you have to be active, don't you? I, my particular way, I like to fish. I like to fish with a rubber worm. And I like to Texas rig that bad boy. and Put a bullethead sinker on that thing and throw it out there and fish it right off the bottom. I bring it in. If it doesn't work for a while, you switch out the worm. And then you switch out the bait. And you keep trying. But you keep working. Guess what? You're going to get your fish. But this is how we view God. God, if you do something great for me, I promise you, God, I'll, I'll delight in you. I will praise you. I will, I'll tell everybody about you. So just answer my big prayer. God, we open up the live well and say, go ahead and jump in, God. I'm waiting. I mean, I know you saved me, but... but when you do something great for me, I'll praise you for it. I'll be delighted by it. God, I find that big check in the mail, and then, then I'll be really excited. I mean, I know you created me out of nothing, and you gave me life. But God, if you help me find that really close place to park at Walmart, man, I'm going to be so excited about that. I'm going to praise you. 
And by the way, folks, thank God for every little thing he does. But God's not on trial. We are not sitting there waiting for God to do something great for us. We are explorers of his greatness every day. It's like a cave system where you walk into the cave and it branches out into four different places. And you explore that cave and this cave and that cave. And it seems like the more you explore it, the more you find how great God is. And, and you go through your Christian life and you say, wow, I've been doing this for decades trying to explore God's greatness. And I've just started. He does get sweeter every day. He is greater every day because that's who our God is. Folks, the ultimate truth is this. Jesus Christ is the most beautiful thing in this world. Our God is the greatest treasure in this world. But the sad thing is, most of the world, and many of us as believers, we don't see it. Because we're sitting in the boat, waiting for God to do something big. He has to do nothing. Many of us as believers, we struggle in our Christian life because we're too passive about delighting in God. About, uh, oh, last summer, we had some friends come into town. And it was actually, uh, I think it was in August. And it was literally the hottest day of the year. Literally, the hottest day of the year. And they came and we told them about uh, Crater of Diamonds Park. Is that, is that, am I saying that right? Crater of Diamonds Park. And there at that park, we told them how that, you know, you could, if you ever heard of it, you could go there and they're actually, you know, they have come out with these big tractors, they tilt the fields, and you can dig through the dirt and try to find diamonds. And people do find diamonds. About once a week, somebody finds a diamond. About once a year, somebody finds a diamond worth thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars. So we, we and by the way, I, I thought, why don't the, they just mine it then if it has all these diamonds? It's because they make more money selling equipment to people like me than they do by mining the diamonds. So we, our friends wanted to go there, and I'll be honest, I wasn't really into it. Hey, what about that diamond mining place you talked about? It's like, oh, it's supposed to be like 104 heat index today? Well, well we could just like uh, wear hats. How about Magic Springs? And, you know, this kind of dialogue went on. And uh, finally, like, okay, we'll go. And so we go out there. And by the time we get there, it's it like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It is just blazing hot. And you, you go, you get all your equipment. And you go in the field. And you know how it is when dirt's been baking in the sun. You know, you're walking on the grass, and it feels relatively cool. But when you get on that dirt that's been baked all day, it's just like you can't breathe. And so we're walking out in these dirt fields, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, I was not delighting in the Lord right then. <laughs> and I'm walking there, and so we're digging through the dirt, trying, and, you, you know, you have these little things, screens that you go through, and you have all these rocks. And, and diamonds don't look like diamonds in the dirt. You know, you don't know what they are. And so you, well, that could be one, and put it in a bucket. And put, I did that for about 10 minutes, and I, I felt God leading me. God had provided shade, and God had provided a picnic table under that shade, and I, I felt led to take a nap under that table. So I went over there, and I lay down, and I enjoyed about 90 minutes of sweet rest in Jesus. <laughs> and uh, the re- everybody else was mining, and it turned out that they didn't find anything either, so I kind of won that one. But let's pretend that they had found something. Okay, let's say everybody had found a diamond that day. We're going home, and I kind of, I'm upset, and I'm discouraged. Because I didn't find one. Wouldn't you say that I have to take some of the responsibility because I was the one who wasn't willing to, to look for it. I was waiting for him to come to me. Diamonds just don't work that way. Let me tell you, God is the greatest beauty of this world. But we'll miss it if we don't consciously seek after his greatness every single day of our life. Can I tell you why people who preach like me, preachers, 
why we always say read your Bible and pray? Because that's how we go through the fields and we find those little diamonds. And we polish them off and say, whoa, look how great God is. What I read this morning was precisely what I needed. It was like the ink was still wet on the pages. Like God wrote it this morning just for me. I've got to do this again tomorrow. And we, we, we get in this mode where we find the greatness of God. God says, delight thyself also in the Lord. Wow, God, look at all the injustice in this world and people who aren't doing what they should, but they seem to be promoted. And look at the wickedness of the society around us. And God says, oh, did you think that was the real treasure of life? Did you think that's what I made you for? Were these things? He said, no, no, no. I made you for me. I made you for the greatest treasure of all, to know me and to love me forever. And he says, I want you to follow after me. And I say, you know, God, in fact, this is the promise of the verse. Basically, you could say it, Follow me and all of your dreams will come true. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And I say, wait a second, God. Some of those things over there look like the things I really want. He says, I stand by my promise. I'm not over-promising you at all. I say, but what about these things? He says, you know I made you, right? Well, yeah, I know you made me. And I know you better than you know you. Yeah. And I know what you want better than you know what you want. I say, okay, God. I'll trust you. I'll follow you. And I live this life of delighting in God, searching every day for a new treasure of God. And as I do, God begins to peel off the veneer of those things. He begins to reveal them, like he says in verse 2, that they are just grass. They're shadows. They might be enjoyable, but they're not things to live your life after. That he is the ultimate treasure, and those are all fakes they're all shams. By the way, folks, when we live over here, that's what we're really looking for. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for God at the bottom of a bottle. The relationship after relationship after relationship that doesn't satisfy, let me tell you what we're looking for. We're looking for the love of a Savior that will always satisfy and he'll never leave us and forsake us. And all those things we think we want, when the, when it's, it's, the curtain is open, what we find is, wait a second, it was God that I really wanted all the time, what he provides, and those things were the cheap imitations. And we live a life of following God, delighting in God, and we get to that place in our life where we say, God, you told me that if I delight myself in you, that you make all my dreams come true, that you would, you would give me the desires of my heart. And God, you've allowed me to live long enough to see it was you that I wanted all the time. It wasn't those things. It wasn't those fakes. It wasn't those shadows. The wicked, the people without God, they have nothing. They're living their lives in vanity. And what I have is the great treasure. I have you. You are what I wanted. That's the great parable that Jesus told, the treasure of great price. Probably the parable that impacts our life more than any other or could man who's walking through a field and he sees that great treasure. And he goes and he sells all he has to buy that field and to have that treasure. And that's exactly what it's saying. We see God. We see that he is this incredible treasure. We say, whatever it takes for me to walk with God is not a sacrifice. I get to behold his beauty. I get to walk with him. I get to enjoy the fulfillment that only comes through God. Maybe you're like me and where I was. I was pretty upset about the injustice in this world. I was pretty discouraged. And as I looked at the word of God, 
it came to me this way. You are delighting in people having those things delight in me. And what I found is that as I delight in God, I begin to see those things don't matter. Is that you today? Are you frustrated with the wickedness in this world? Hey, folks, as believers, we don't have to just sit there and wring our hands about how bad this world is. That's why we're here. That's why he left us on this earth is to make an impact in our world. In fact, when we see wickedness, we should say, hallelujah, it's job security. God might give me a little more time because he has a lot to do down here. Are you, but are you discouraged today? Are you looking at the injustices of this world and just wondering where God is? God says, wait, wait, I've got something for you to do. I will right every wrong. I will raise every valley. I will level every mountain. I'll make the crooked straight. I'll do all those things. I'll set free the captives. But until that day comes, don't fret about them. Don't envy that and delight in me. Today, if you had a little gauge that showed how much you delighted in God, how much in awe you are of God, what would that be? I have a feeling that's pretty close to the level of your excitement and enthusiasm and joy in the Lord as well. God doesn't have to do anything else. He's done it all. We just need to find it. Would you please bow your head and close your eyes? As I've talked today, what I've tried to explain is that our God is the greatest beauty in this entire world. His beauty is shown most clear through the fact that his son, Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, came and took our sin upon him. He did not have to, but he chose to, so that you and I could enjoy heaven forever. That's what the songs of grace that we just heard are all about, that we are undeserving and he is all deserving, and yet he died for us so that we could have eternal life. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. You might think you know how great God is, but to be honest with you, you've not seen the greatest thing of God. That's his personal salvation that's available for you and for me. And in a moment when we stand and sing, we'll invite people to come forward to pray, but, but if you don't know Christ is your Savior, please come and shake one of the hands of the men up here and say, I, I need to find out what this grace is, what salvation really is. I want to know the greatest beauty of God, the greatest gem in his crown, his grace for fallen man. And maybe you're here and you're discouraged and it's because you've been looking at the injustice in this world. As the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at him. Let's stand with our head bowed and eyes closed. If you'd like to come and pray, the altar is open.